We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiao Xin Chung. Hi, good to be here. And on the telephone from Taichung by Donovan Smith. And great to be back. Tonight we'll be discussing news that pro-democracy activist Li Mingzhe will be released from prison in China and returned to Taiwan, a visit to Taiwan by a delegation of Swedish parliamentarians and scuffles at the Daja Jenlan Temple Matsu pilgrimage likely related to, well, politics. But we'll begin with the latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan as the number of daily local infections are now reaching highs not seen here before in Taiwan. So one could argue the island is coming rather late to the party. Anyway, Health Minister Chen Shijong this week said it's possible that coronavirus cases could reach the tens of thousands. However, speaking to reporters briefly before a legislative committee hearing on Wednesday, the minister stressed that although such high numbers of cases are possible, it will depend on how the domestic outbreak develops. And according to Chen, the overall curve on infections cannot yet be clearly identified as it's in an early development stage. But he said the RT, or effective reproduction number, is standing about 2.0 currently, and that means the infection rate remains rapid. That comment came after the health minister said that he expects the daily number of domestic coronavirus infections to reach 1,000 by the end of this month. And speaking in the legislative UN, Chen urged people to follow disease prevention measures, and he stressed that it's unnecessary to panic, but it is necessary for everyone to take action. Now, on Thursday, the Covenant of the Advisory Committee on Immunisation Practices warned that high coronavirus transmission rates could last until September. Li Bingying said the warning comes as he believes Taiwan is facing two main weaknesses as the government shifts from a plan based on coronavirus elimination to one based on mitigation. Those weaknesses are a relatively low rate of vaccination among older people and also the situation of children aged between 5 and 11 who are not yet eligible to be vaccinated. Meanwhile, Premier Su Jung Chung is saying the government has now begun requisitioning coronavirus rapid antigen tests. And according to the Premier, the government aims to obtain 40 million of those tests within a month. And the tests are being obtained from both domestic and overseas manufacturers. And the military is already apparently planning to devote manpower to the production of its own kits. The move comes as opposition lawmakers have been calling on the government to regulate the supply of rapid tests and keep prices low. Now, the Centers for Disease Control Director General... Joe Jirahao says the government will announce the adjustments of the prices of rapid tests soon, but he's not saying when. Now, the health minister this week also announced that the government is in the final stages of complex negotiations to acquire coronavirus vaccines for children aged between the ages of 5 and 11. And according to the health minister, the vaccine doses are produced by Pfizer rather than BioNTech, but the contract is, in his words, a bit complex as the government is conducting four-way talks. The other parties in the talks involved are Pfizer, BioNTech and the Shanghai Forsen Pharmaceutical Group, which is the licensed distributor of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine in China, Hong Kong, Macau and Taiwan. Now, the health minister is refusing to say how many doses the government is seeking to procure, stressing only that that information would not benefit the ongoing negotiations. So, Xiao, a lot to digest here and, of course, rising cases, concern among the public and moves to requisition more rapid test kits, and I believe that it's going to be the same requisition system used as the face masks. Yes, um, yeah, it's been probably the first time in Taiwan is really uh, going through such a high numbers and shock. Um, but just like the government said, I mean, the, the goal nowadays is to move into war, um, sort of like a coexistence with the with, with the 
with the virus. And so when they published the high counts of infection, at the same time, the government also published the percentage of those infections who are um, uh, of a serious nature. So I, I think I, I think the public panic uh, compared to a uh, year prior has not been so dramatic because um, from uh, the situation on the ground, I can feel a sense that um, at least in, uh, in in my area, I don't see a lot of people, you know, being as panicked as it was last year. And a lot of companies in, in the uh, the technology park that I worked in, um, not many companies shut their doors and then send their employees is home like last year. Um, so I think this time around, um, we have um, have a different mindset. And the government has a different strategy. So moving forward, we'll see um, how, how, how it works out. And of course, Xiao, the government has, is stressing every day that um, still just over 99% of the cases are either very, very mild or asymptomatic. Yeah, and that's in, in line with, uh, with, with the worldwide cases, uh, like in, in the Omicron variant, right? So it's extremely infectious, but those who are infected uh, oftentimes demonstrate very mild to non-existent symptoms. So, I mean, given that, I mean, it, it's probably smarter to, um, to change the strategy and not to enforce um, or to eliminate completely the, the infection cases like they did in China. I mean, oh my God, if you look at how they handle this pandemic in China, they just lock everybody inside their apartments. Um, and given that the, the cases are all mild, I mean, that the measure, in my opinion, will be too extreme. So I, I think the Taiwanese government is moving in, in the right direction. And Donovan, of course, Xiao there mentioning not so much panic seen on the streets this time round. Yeah, I mean, the the government seems to have been signaling for a little while now and has been communicating a lot, as you noted, that 99.6% uh, of all cases now are mild or asymptomatic. And and so they're they're going out of their way at this point to reassure the public to and to prepare them, I believe, uh, to prepare everyone for this shift in policy. And at this point, now I think that People are, to a certain degree, there's a there's a, a degree of COVID exhaustion, and I think people would like to move on. Uh, so you have a situation where both the public, I think, is is much more receptive uh, to moving on, to changing, and and uh, moving toward living a normal life again. And at the same time, it, the circumstances on the ground appear to be generally in favor of doing that without the uh, CECC taking too much political risk. And, of course, there's questions over whether to vaccinate 5 to 11-year-olds. Yeah, I, I, I think they're really the model should be to look overseas and see how that's gone overseas. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not an epidemiologist or, or a, uh, a expert on children's health, so I can't really comment there. But I know quite a few countries have already done it, so there's a lot of models for them to work on or from. Yeah, I mean, the, I think that the, the point is, because um, I think it's a fact that, that, that or, or it's a known situation that the children who are infected uh, demonstrate as well very mild cases so the, the thing is but once they get infected they have to miss uh, from school and the parents have to you know call in um, for sick leaves so it, it is going to create a lot of disturbances but compare that with actually pushing out the vaccination for children I don't know if that's um, 
that is too progressive or too aggressive. Um, but um, in my opinion, it is right. I agree completely with Donovan that we should look overseas and see how they handle such cases and see the uh, the studies, the research, um, and 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 the experimentations, and we'll, we'll go from there. And staying with school children and the coronavirus, the Ministry of Education this week was forced to backtrack on its revisions for standards to suspend in-person school classes as a result of coronavirus cases. The move came only a day after Education Minister Pan when Jong announced a new set of guidelines under which a full suspension would only be ordered if one third or more than 10 classes were made remote. However, that policy was criticised by some local governments and the KMT, with Yunlin County Magistrate Zhang Li Shan saying her administration will retain separate standards for elementary schools as children under the age of 12 are, as we what we said, not eligible to receive coronavirus vaccines yet, putting them at higher risk. Now, the local governments in Nantou and Jingmen counties say they will continue to adhere to their original guidelines for suspending in-person elementary school classes. Tainan Mayor Huang Weijie said that the new standards for school-aged children should be stricter, while KMT Chairman Eric Ju is saying that the central government should allow local governments to decide on their own guidelines for school or class suspensions and closures. So Donovan, a mixed bag of things going on there with local governments regarding school closures. Yeah, and I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, again, there, there are now quite a few models of, of how to deal with this overseas. And this, so all of this battling back and forth seems to be largely political. Now, in general, uh, kids are less, they're not at high risk, but then again, they are unvaccinated. So I really, I think what needs to happen is people need to look at the statistics uh, from overseas and then try to apply those logically. But when you get to the issue of children, of course, uh, that tends to become a politically uh, charged issue. Um, children, of course, being a famously politically touchy subject. So I, I think the government here is going to have to tread lightly. And also, there's a lot of logistical things where the CCC and the education ministry, and then again, the local governments on the ground are all facing different logistical issues. And, of course, parents in different areas face different situations. So, for example, if you're in urban Taipei or if you're in a rural community in Nanto, you're, you're facing a different set of circumstances uh, regarding your children, your children and schooling. So I can see there may, that maybe the KMT is correct on a certain amount of flexibility depending on locale. But fundamentally, I really would like to see the, the government focus on what, what are the experiences of the public overseas. But you know they're going to be extra cautious here because any, any, if any children die, now apparently there's only been a handful of people have died from COVID this year, and uh, almost all of them have been immunocompromised and elderly and for a lot of pre-existing conditions. But as soon as one child dies, which is theoretically possible, then it's going to become a huge political liability. So I'm, I'd be willing to bet they're going to proceed very cautiously on this. And of course, shout, there was a headline in one of Thursday's newspapers which screamed, this is apparently a health expert at the National Taiwan University Hospital in Taipei, the headline screamed, 100 children could die. <laughs> Well, they're probably a little bit over dramatic here, um, and I agree with Donovan that children are extremely, you know, political touchy subjects, um, and it doesn't help that this year is a is a election year, um, and 
given that the, we're going to hold the local elections to elect our uh, city council members and, and mayors in a lot of these um, local governments, um, it is not obvious to see that why some of the uh, local governments wants to, you know, butt heads with the central government um, to push out um, more um to, to, to strive for more freedoms so they can um, push out their own pandemic policies. But, but yeah, agree with Donovan that it, it, it is wise to, you know, to, to look to overseas and see um, how they deal with these children and vaccination um, subject um, because uh, we know that the, the children may not um, have severe cases, but once they get infected, it creates a, a bubble effect where, you know, the parent may be infected as well. And when the parent infected, it creates a lot of more trouble. So, yeah, the, the government really needs to be tried very carefully here. And moving away from the coronavirus now, and pro-democracy activist Li Mingzhe is expected to return to Taiwan very soon after his release from prison in China after he served a sentence there and his sentence came to an end. Now, China's Taiwan Affairs Office announced earlier this week that Li would soon be released after serving his sentence and the authorities there would arrange for his return to Taiwan. The spokesman, though, didn't provide any specific details concerning Li's release from the prison in Hunan province, but he did stress that Li's health condition is stable. Li was a staff member, of course, at the Wenshan Community College in Taipei and had been active in sharing Taiwan's experiences in democracy with Chinese netizens through online discussions. He was arrested in March of 2017 while visiting China's Guangdong province from Macau. He was accused there of working with a Chinese national to circulate comments that attack the Chinese government, China's political system and basically promoting Western-style democracy on social media and messaging platforms. He was sentenced to five years in prison in November of 2017 on charges of subversion of state power so of course Xiao several years ago Lee was in the news virtually every day we talked to him about this on this show we talked about him on countless occasions but now he's coming home pending his return very soon possibly today at the earliest but I mean how do you think he's going to be welcomed back in Taiwan do you think people will remember who he was people will treat him as a returning hero or there'll be sort of some trepidation about okay but maybe you did that in China but maybe you shouldn't have done that in China I think he will be welcome home with some degree of warmth um, because uh, Taiwanese people um, kind of got a lesson into, you know, the Chinese um, dictatorial nature uh, to see the true nature of this government um, er, er, ever since his, his capture. So, I mean, I myself, you know, um, kind of, you know, uh, understand the subject and then got into, uh, you know, social movement in the early 20, you know, 15, 16, 17. Um, part of it is because I, I, um, I, I heard about Lee's story and I heard about his struggles um, and his wife's, you know, struggles to, to get him released from Chinese prison. Um, and his story is really, um, um, I wouldn't say a heroic story, but it is a story of uh, Taiwanese people trying to, you know, simply... Um, spread a message of democracy um, and to help out uh, overseas Chinese people because he, he, he has to have some love for, for Chinese people in order to go over there and then help, you know, 
um, spread the words of democracy, help people understand, you know, how you know democratic systems uh, will 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 help you know local people be better off and and things of that nature. So it, it is really a, a quite quite a journey for him. So I believe when he's come back, um, the Taiwanese people will open him with with uh, would welcome him with open arms, um, and. All those people who have um, marched on the streets for his release will be really happy to see him back. Yeah, I, I think uh, as Xiao has, has summed it up nicely. I can a- add some details to it. Um, one word I, I, that I thought was interesting there um, is the word is heroic. And uh, to, to a certain degree, uh, he is heroic. Um, the person that actually out of this whole story really struck me as heroic was Li Jingyu, his wife. Um, she did quite, I mean, she worked really hard. She did some dramatic things like writing on her arm and then, uh, pulling down her sleeve in the courtroom. And, uh, she spoke around the world in, in trying to get him released to international, uh, forums. And, um, I, I was really quite impressed with, with her, um, now, as far as Lee means to himself, I remember when he was uh, arrested, my first reaction, I think, like many people, was, who? Um, and then the description of what he was doing sounded relatively low-key, mostly talking on online chat rooms and these sorts of things, not exactly uh, hardcore revolutionary stuff. Um, but um, China clearly was trying to make an example of him, and I guess he was convenient, and, and the timing was right for for them to try to make that example. Now, I, I, I'm really kind of on pins and needles hoping he'll be released. Um, and I think a lot of how the public is going to respond to him will, there will be a few variables. I, I, I mean, Xiao summed it up uh, perfectly, but I'm uh, going into the longer term. I think there's going to be a few variables as to how much of an impact this story will make. One is, well, first of all, obviously, most dramatically, he's not yet here. He's not yet home. So, you know, right now, I think our hopes are concentrated on making sure that he, you know, does successfully return uh, safely. Ominously, uh, the uh, TAO spokesman, um, uh, Ma Xiaoguang, uh, said that his medical condition was stable, which to me sounds a little alarming. Uh, it seems to hint that there may have been some medical issues. Um, so when he comes back, we'll start to find out a lot more details. Now, it, if, if the government treatment of him over there was truly awful, um, that will create a big outcry. My suspicion is if it was super, super awful, they wouldn't release him. But then again, they might uh, to send a message. So the, you know, how was he treated? What was his experiences like there? Uh, another is, and this is something I don't know, uh, I believe his English name is Morrison, uh, is his is his communication skills. Is he somebody, when he comes back, does he paint a compelling picture of what happened? Will that, and, and if he does, this is a story that may get picked up and, you know, TV series or a documentary or a movie could be made out of it or at the very least a book. Uh, and these are the kinds of things that, if these pieces all kind of fall into place, 
could you know, start to build something of a legend around him. Another possibility uh, is he comes back and there's some, uh, a brief flurry of text. He's returned back as something of a hero in certain circles. Obviously, CTI TV watchers probably won't. Um, and, but but he, perhaps he comes back and he wants to just retire quietly at home and get back to a normal life. I, and certainly, I wouldn't. I don't think anybody could blame him if, after what he's gone through. That if he wants to come home and just, you know, live a quiet life, then yeah, I, you know, certainly he's he certainly earned that right. So I think how this is going to play out in the public is, you know, how much of or, or how much of an impact this has long term, how much he's remembered. I think at this point, we really don't know, but it'll be interesting to see how this plays out yeah but one i totally agree um but one thing for sure is he will symbolize the uh the, the brutality of the chinese regime um because the the general taiwanese people will remember the fact that the chinese government really show him no mercy at all i mean the relentless capture and the trial the coercion for him to confess um and to equate you know spreading democracy democratic message to subverting state power um, and the sentencing and then the full sentence of five years um, and then the release and the Taiwanese can see so well I mean and coupled this with uh, the incidents in Hong Kong where Hong Kong people just get captured and sent into the Chinese territory I mean we all remember vividly you know the five six seven years ago how these you know stories played out so it, it will serve as a reminder of Taiwanese people that uh, I mean the, the Chinese regime are, are, are real brutal um, and they have no interest in you know any uh, working with any democratic government so I mean th th this in this election year I think it will serve as a good um, stories for some you know you know some parties may maybe wanted to um, push in that direction and so I want to add into another possibility of what Li Minger can do and probably only another extreme is uh, of uh, retiring quietly into the background uh, the, the other extreme will be he will be very vocal and then maybe even join some political parties and run for office who knows so uh, I mean we'll see do you think he'd get support Xiao if he ran for office I think he will in some wins of the society, right? Because uh, th th there's some strong, you know, members of society who are, you know, strongly opposed to um, any uh, movement toward a friendly relationship with the Chinese government. And he will serve as a, as a symbol for, for that movement, right? That, that's for sure. Um, because he can remind people every day that how he suffers in Chinese prisons, how he was not allowed to communicate, to write letters, receive letters, telephoning his wife, this brutality, this simply denying of human rights in Chinese prison, I mean, by simply having him on, on, on the stage is a good, strong, um, strong reminder. So I think some wins of society will welcome him. And we have to take a short break now, but we'll return after these rather important commercials.
Welcome back to Taiwan this week and an 11-member Swedish parliamentary delegation popped to the island this week and they described their trip as sending a strong message to China that Europe will support the island's efforts to defend its freedom and democracy. The delegation was slated to meet with President Tsai Ing-wen at the presidential office on Tuesday of this week. However, that meeting had to take place virtually as Tsai was in home quarantine after a person she had contact with tested positive for the coronavirus. But speaking at that virtual meeting, Tsai welcomed the lawmakers and stressed the importance of democracy partners standing together amid growing authoritarianism. And she also said she plans to strengthen ties with Europe and hopes to promote deeper exchanges to create a stronger democratic alliance. Now, the delegation was headed by Baranya Adberg, who heads the Swedish-Taiwanese Parliamentarian Association. And speaking during a meeting with Premier Su Jung Chung, she said the parliamentarians are in Taipei to deliver a message and make it clear that the international community cares about Taiwan. While another member of the Swedish parliamentarian group said the country's parliament will soon debate a proposal to rename and upgrade its representative office here. Now, according to Kirsten Lundgren, the proposal focuses on renaming the Swedish Trade and Investment Council in Taipei the House of Sweden, and that's meant to scale up the office. The proposal was initiated by Lundgren's Swedish Centre Party, and he says the renaming of the office will indicate that it functions as an agency to promote not just business exchanges, but other bilateral links with the island. The proposal has the support of other Swedish parliamentarians and Lars Angerston of the Christian Democrats says he supports the proposal to rename the office and he does not really care what Beijing thinks as it's a matter for Taiwan and Sweden and not for others to say. Now, while the visit, of course, was quite a high-profile visit for European parliamentarians, um, he got quite a bit of airtime, like I said, and column inches in newspapers, but for most people, they're likely to remember it as Foreign Minister Joseph Wu's chance to ask the delegation the correct way to pronounce IKEA. So, Xiao, um, let's put the IKEA pronunciation thing to one side, but of course, Sweden renaming its office here. Yeah, I mean, it's another big deal, right? Because um, last time, I think, is uh, Lithuania, um, did that so anger China that they, uh, they bar. Uh, Lithuanian uh, import um, and exports. So I think this is just another case of uh, Europe, uh, European members showing strong support for Taiwan, for a democratic country and ally. Um, and it is a continuation of uh, a string of uh, European or, or war parliamentarian visits to Taiwan ever since um, uh, last year, especially culminating in the uh, Taiwan's open parliament um, day conference where um, uh, parliamentarians from Mexico, Estonia, Lithuania, um, Finland, um, and Belize, even speakers from of Parliament from Belize came and visit in in a strong show of support of a democratic alliance between the the parli- parliaments of uh, these countries, and I, I was very honored to be a part of that conference, uh, um, and I see firsthand that uh, people have good spirits when they come visit. Um, I'll bet they have to be in uh, the uh, pandemic bubbles. Uh, we cannot shake hands and, and stuff like that. Um, but uh, throughout our exchange of messages, uh, we see that the, especially the member of parliaments are very interested in visiting Taiwan because their government counterparts cannot. Uh, I, I heard one parliamentarian mention that um, when, they, when he expressed his interest in visiting Taiwan, he was uh, warned against doing so by his uh, government counterparts 
two parts. But because he's a parliamentarian, he doesn't have to take cues from the government. So he, he can't visit anyway. And that shows another um, degree of freedom of parliamentarian uh, diplomacy because, uh, well, parliaments can, can feel free to visit each other. We don't need to, you know, care about like, like, the government's sensitivities uh, or the abidance uh, 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 to, to be abide by the uh, one China policy and so on and so forth. So that I think will, will continue, you know, the parliamentarian diplomacy. And we'll see a lot more uh, either member of Congress or parliamentarians come visit Taiwan in the future. So parliamentary diplomacy there, Donovan. Yeah, I, and uh, I think Xiao kind of touched on an interesting point there, and that is the uh, the that it's parliamentary democracy, and the government counterparts are often not on board with this. Uh, in some countries, the the, the government uh, is on board. In some cases, they aren't. Um, the fact that, that there's been a lot of parliamentary support uh, across the world, frankly. Um, but also very much uh, uh, in Europe in the last few years is, is, was an excellent breakthrough, definitely, uh, that this now opens up all kinds of exchanges and ideas and familiarity uh, with Taiwan and the issues surrounding it. And so this, was, and this has been a big, giant step forward in, in that sense. Now, I feel like the next big jump or step forward, which the Lithuanians have already started on and some others are hinting at is whether or not the those government counterparts really take up action because at this point it's all well and good that a parliamentary delegation for example in this case the uh the swedish the swedish parliamentarians want to pass a bill which suggests that the government change the name of the Swedish Trade Office to the House of Sweden, which I'm not sure that's an upgrade, but it is certainly adorable. Um, but it, will the government, it's only advisory. It's still up to the government to actually make that change. Now, the Lithuanians, of course, did uh, create the Taiwanese, repre- or allow the Taiwan to, uh, to open up their office under the name of Taiwanese Representative Office. I'd be more interested to see if Sweden does something similar on that side. I really don't see how changing the Swedish trade office name to House of Sweden is going to really offend China very much, um, as it sounds more like uh, something for toys or pancakes. Um, and again, you also see, for example, a lot of European parliament, European parliament parliamentarians coming over. And again, I'd, I find it extraordinarily unlikely that the over you know the overarching EU government is going to do very much uh, but you could see movement in places as we've seen with Lithuania in countries like Sweden uh, Czechoslovakia and uh, these countries are, are possible uh, it could possibly start upgrading ties with Taiwan well before the EU does so, so it's it's an important it's important that these parliamentarians are coming over, I, I, but I feel like now the next step that I'd really like to see happen is more of those, as shall put it, government counterparts to the uh, to these parliamentarians actually taking action. And so, Xiao, what about non-partisan visits to foreign countries by parliamentarians from Taiwan? Um, yes, um, right. 
that 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 is the the, the fact on the ground with uh, Taiwan's parliament being so um, harshly divided, right? But I, I think to some degree, you know, when facing outward, there's still some you know some degree of unif- unification in 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 Taiwan's politics. Uh, one such example will be um, will be last year's uh, Taiwan's Open Parliament Day. Where uh, bipartisan members of Congress uh, of Parliament actually show up in support of uh, uh, welcoming our international, you know, parliamentarian friends from all over the country. So, I, I mean, Taiwan internally can be harshly divided, but when facing our, we sometimes, you know, still show a strong degree of unification. Uh, yeah, actually, I mean, sort of extending on what Xiao was saying is that if you actually look at the the uh, legislative friendship groups within the legislative UN, they almost always have uh, multiple parties involved, and they just created another uh, international grouping within that sort of general international grouping, not like a Japanese friendship grouping or a friendship grouping for a specific country. Uh, but again, and again, it was cross-party. So when it comes to you know friendship with foreign countries or interacting with foreign countries, the parties, at least certain members of all the major parties, seem to come forward and participate in these things. So I, I don't see that as a as the barrier to uh, legislative groups uh, going to other countries from Taiwan. I don't think that's the major problem. The major problem has been the pandemic, um, pr- but prior to the pandemic, foreign governments were not terribly friendly to the idea. Um, but now, since the politics has changed, it could be that foreign other foreign countries may be more receptive to it. And certain countries, of course, have had seen trade delegations and visits by Joseph Wu, uh, which is you know even more dramatic than a parliamentary visit from Taiwan. So I, I don't see that as being... I think once the pandemic lifts, I think some countries would be quite welcoming, and I think that uh, that bipartisan groupings would be would from, or from Taiwan would be quite willing to travel overseas. And Xiaomin, do you see Joseph Wu visiting Sweden now? Oh, I certainly hope so. Certainly hope so. I mean, that would be a major step forward. Um, but just like um, Donovan said, I mean, uh, the, the parliamentarian visits are just a, a degree of freedom that, that can try to, you know, propagate to the government side. Um, and once, you know, we have strong support in the Swedish government uh, parliament, um, we will certainly hope to push forward for our, you know, um, ministers to visit. And before we go this week, the annual Dajar Matsu pilgrimage got off to a headline-making start this past weekend after members of the Chinese Unification Promotion Party caused a commotion when they attempted to grab the palanquin which carries a statue of the goddess. Three police officers were injured when members of the pro-unification party attempted to grab the palanquin as the pilgrimage was passing through Zhanghua City. Now, at the time, a total of six people were arrested, but now a total of 38 people have been questioned by police in connection with the incident. And the incident resulted in the Zhonghua District Prosecutor's Office questioning honorary Chinese Unification Promotion Party Chairman Li Jiawei and his wife Wu Jinhu. Both of them were released on bail. Prosecutors at the time also issued a subpoena requesting that party founder and former Bamboo Union leader Zhang Anle turn himself in for questioning in connection with the case. He complied with that subpoena Tuesday evening and was questioned before being released on bail of 300,000 NT. Now, there have also been charges that Zhang and 
Chinese party members failed to provide the vaccine 3OK approval card, which was issued by the Jenlan Temple to prove they'd been had three sorts of coronavirus vaccine. Now, speaking to reporters after leaving the prosecutor's office, Jung claimed that the police were responsible for the incident and members of his party are innocent of any wrongdoing. However, prosecutors say that Jung and other members of the party are facing possible charges of impeding police from carrying out their duties. Now, the city's police chief on Thursday said that his group has information... Well, basically that more gang members and certain political parties are planning to cause more trouble when the pilgrimage returns through Zhanghua City this evening. And apparently additional police officers are being sent to the city and they'll be concentrated in areas of the route which are known for being hotspots. Now, of course, Donovan, there are several places in Zhanghua that are considered hotspots for the pilgrimage. Well, there's one above and beyond all others, just head and shoulders, uh, that's always a flashpoint, and that's the Minsheng underpass. With the, with the one exception of the year, uh, the first year of the pandemic lockdowns, where they literally lined it with police, and so few people were in the pilgrimage. I believe that's the only year where they more or less kept the violence down. But it's at that Minsheng underpass where trouble always arises. And sure enough, uh, the White Wolf, Zhang Anle, and uh, his cup members showed up there. Uh, so the fact that they showed up there, that it really indicates that they were looking for publicity uh, and potentially trouble. Um, and one suspects that uh, considering his background and uh, the background of many of his followers, that they they presumably, like everyone else, has been uh, has a little bit of pandemic weariness and they're looking for entertainment, uh, Taiwan gangster style. Um, so they show up there and but the part that I find so ironic or just amusing, I suppose, it's not necessarily ironic, but is that it was the three OK card for the triple vaccination that triggered this, uh, rather than the normal, uh, rather than the, the normal types of fights that broke out. Uh, the police were interfering over that rather than the typical violence and other things, and then that triggered the violence. Is uh, really kind of a indication of the times that we're living in here. Uh, normally, you get groups of temple toughs. These are uh, that show up, young men, often dressed in black shirts. Uh, they're kind of like gangs, uh, but they're affiliated with temples locally. And then occasionally, you get the bigger uh, gangster types uh, coming down from other areas, uh, and they all tend to converge. It's the it's the Minsheng underpass in Zhanghua. And so you, if you're going, if you're going to the the uh, pilgrimage and you're looking for trouble, that's where you're going to go and find it. And Xiao, do you think Mr. Zhang had this trouble? Sort of, pl- the police are saying that they heard stories, reports that more trouble is planned, and possibly the initial trouble could have been planned first of all. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, just like I said, it, it is election year. And um, he is the leader of a Chinese unification promotion party. Um, how else is gonna get on national press, TV um, attention? Uh, yeah, so I, I think this is um, this is uh, one way to get a publicity stunt. Um, I think he's he's done it, and people pay attention to him and his party talk about uh, what, what he's doing, what his party's doing. I, I think he's got his job done. 
But I mean, what, what do you think going forward? Do you think there's more trouble going forward in Zhanghua tonight, maybe? Well, I certainly hope not. Um, so I think this is, he probably have achieved his uh, his game. And so uh, I hope everything is quiet down and then people can go back to what, whatever they're trying to do. But of course, Xiao, I mean, the, the Jenlan Temple head, Yang Qingbiao, had stressed that basically don't grab the palanquin, always wear a face mask, be courteous and have your virus vaccination card ready. And of course, the, the unification people seem to have ignored this. Yeah, that, that is really unfortunate because this, Daja, you know, Mazu, this uh, parade every year is, is attracted thousands and thousands of people. It's really important, you know, religious activity in Taiwan. So I, I'm really sad to see that it got, you know, spoiled by, by such few people who, who's probably holding some political aims. So I, I hope everything's quieted down and nobody, you know, got any, you know, infections because of this. Yeah, I don't feel like this necessarily spoils it uh, because. The, the the violence breaks out every year at the Minsheng uh, underpass, and that actually, oddly enough, seems to be part of the tradition because a lot of the people who get involved in it are actually devout followers, and they're trying to actually seize the palanquin itself, which is uh, sort of part of the actual ceremony and that you if you actually get the palanquin that means it'll bring you good luck and so scrambling and struggling and sometimes fighting to try and get that is actually part of the tradition um but i do think that as, as you and Xiao noted i think that that in this case with Zhang Anle it was definitely a publicity stunt the big worry and again Xiao just put, put his finger right on it is that the the big fear here is that this leads to a giant outbreak um, and oddly, the CCC just announced the other day that they're thinking about putting in a three vaccine mandate for any large scale events. Um, but they seem to be holding off until this pilgrimage uh, is or I think they were sending up a trial balloon, but they were not they're not going to announce if they, if they decide to go ahead with that. They're not going to do it until after the pilgrimage, possibly to see how that turns out, but also because it's such a, a massive religious event that they can't really politically get too involved in it. So um, we'll see if, there's, if this leads to big outbreaks. Uh, it could be that we'll see more. They may put in those rules on large-scale events that require everybody who attends to have uh, three vaccinations. But if not, maybe they'll decide not to. So we'll see. It could actually have an impact on on policy. And Xiao, do you think do you think Mr. Zhang will face charges of impeding police in their duties, or do you think it will just get it will disappear? Prosecutors won't bother prosecuting it. Um, I'm not sure if he's directly involved. If he were, then he definitely should be prosecuted. But we should leave that to the prosecutors to decide. Um, but um, just like I don't want to say, uh, this is really unfortunate publicity stunt. Um, um, and yeah, if he's responsible, he, he should be you know, held in the court of law and, and tried. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Xiao Shen Chang. Good night, everyone. And on the telephone by Donovan Smith in Taichung. And thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week.
And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.